amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. The Dugout Premier League Preview Football Social Daily Hello and welcome to The Dugout the weekend build up to all the Premier League fixtures taking place over the weekend however there are no fixtures this weekend but we still have a show and we'll be instead of looking forward we'll be doing a little bit of looking back 11 games into the season just over a quarter of the way through the Premier League well, we're going to be looking at back at some of the highlights and uh, as well as the highlights also some of the things that haven't gone quite according to plan. My name's Ant McGinley and while I may not have any fixtures to talk about I do have a couple of ex-professional footballers to help me look back and talk about the season so far and a couple of charming ones as well starting with Franny Bernali who I believe where are you Franny? Southampton always been Southampton for me and <laughs> still here they can't get rid of me <laughs> lovely part of the world I used to live over the Itchen Bridge and uh, I think we've paid it off now but uh, they still charge you the toll they, they do yeah I think that was paid off in about 1985 so yeah someone's making some money somewhere and uh, we've also got Paul Dickoff. Where are you, Paul, today? Yeah, I'm Manchester. Been up here since 95, 96 when I signed the city. And I've got to say, Ant, that's the first time I've ever been called charming. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> well, so it's an international break, the last of the World Cup qualifying fixtures taking place, which gives us an opportunity to catch our breath, stop and look back at the season so far. And as I hinted at, there's been some great bits and some not so great bits, particularly if you're in the most dangerous profession in football, which is the referee. Uh, we'll talk about that in a little while, and we'll also look at some of those things that haven't quite lived up to uh, what we wanted. But let's start by picking out some of our highlights. Franny, what stood out for you so far this season? It's been a great start to the season, Ant, hasn't it? It's um, you know We've had drama. I mean, it sounds from your introduction that we're going to be coming to it at some point as well, but with with five managers losing their their jobs already so far this season, it's been uh, you know quite a roller coaster ride in many ways. But um, what a, what a start! I mean, I think with the, the the strength at the top end of the table, I think we're seeing with the big boys, you know, sort of still spending, still looking to strengthen. Uh, 
but probably being one of the the, the most open runs of a, a, a challenge for a title that we've seen in recent years, which from a neutral's perspective certainly makes it more exciting, I think. And then you've got the usual drama of you know teams trying to stay away from that dreaded end of the table where you don't want to be in and around the bottom three, especially coming into sort of the the new year and Christmas period. So um, yeah, it's been a it's been a great start so far. Um, you know, for for my team Southampton, it's it's been a, a, a little bit indifferent at times, but of, of late, just starting to put some results together and finding a bit of consistency. And I think that's probably the 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 aim for a lot of sides really is to just hit the ground running as best they can, as early as they can, and uh, and and try and find some sort of rhythm and and consistency to their game and results. And um, yeah, we've seen already teams do that, but others that have really struggled already. Yeah, and we're at a situation where we've got four points uh, between the top four and uh, five, well, five points between the bottom five. So it's it's pretty tight whichever end of the table that you're at. Uh, in, in terms of uh, Southampton, is there anybody there that's really stood out for you this season so far, Franny? I'd, I'd have to say probably the, the most obvious one would be the, the, the signing of Tino Liveramento. Uh, if, if you'd said to me, at the back end of last season, you know, there's going to be a, an 18-year-old coming in that displaces Carl Walker-Peters out of the team. I, I, I would have called you crackers. You know, I would never have absolutely seen that whatsoever. Uh, and that just goes to show what a good player he is, but also the performances he's showed already since being thrown in right on, on the, the first game of the season against Everton. So he's a, an outstanding player. Uh, I, I was at the game, uh, the last match where, where we beat... Um, and, it was just he didn't have the best of games, unfortunately. But up until that match, he's been absolutely outstanding. So he's probably been the standout player, I think, so far. But there's been a lot of positivity, I think, around the squad this season from Southampton's point of view. And moving up to to Manchester, Paul. What in terms of a City this season? Uh, there's been a, a couple of surprise, particularly the Crystal Palace game. People weren't expecting that, that defeat there, but we've seen some. Uh, great performances. I was just watching a, again a video on social media of the the second goal in the derby, and every single player in the team touched the ball. Uh, I think it's like twenty six, twenty seven passes uh, before Cancelo plays the ball through uh, to to Silva for that goal. Um, so, you know, the, if anything, that the football stepped up a level, even though uh, they've had those one or two surprise results. Uh, who's if anybody at City has really stood out to you so far this season, oh, there's that many, and you know, you look at you look at the squad they've got, and you know, Pep can make seven changes one week, and the team doesn't look any different. But I think the two outstanding ones have been um, João Cancelo um, and Bernardo Silva. Um, you know, the start of the season consistently, and it's very rarely that um, Pep plays most players in every game but you look at Cancelo the appearances he's got and Bernardo Silva and you think there was a lot of rumours yeah. about Bernardo possibly leaving leaving in the summer um, it just shows you the character he's got you know he had first couple of brilliant seasons um, he tailed off a little bit last season when he was in and out of the team and this season he's just been a revelation and you know I was reading something the other day that he's actually played in five different positions this season already although with Man City you can't really tell who's <laughs> playing where you know because they, they interchange that much but and you think you've got you've got De Bruyne in there and Mares and Sterling. They they're the two alongside Phil Foden. I've got to say that have really stood out. Um, and the, the football that they've played recently has been outstanding. You know, and I know they had the, 
Franio like the the Southampton game and Southampton came and actually done a proper job on Man City tactically when they got the 0-0 earlier on and were probably the better team. The Palace game, um, City should have won the game without a doubt. You know, they conceded in the break early doors, got the man sent off in the second half, even with 10 men. Um, still should have won the game, but you've got to give credit to Palace as well. But I think Franny touching it at the very start. You know, the, the Premier League this year, as much as Liverpool, Chelsea and Man City are up there, I think it's the strongest we've ever seen. Um, as in teams, not just with their, some of the signings they've made, but the actual depth now, probably 12 to 14 teams have got in the squad. Um, you know, I know Villa have just lost their manager that we'll talk about later on, but you look at Villa's squad, how they've spent well, you look at it. Um, I'm pretty sure Everton will turn it around. Newcastle, with the investment that they're going to be having, and in West Ham, just absolutely been outstanding, you know. And then that's without mention um, Leicester, Arsenal, and Tottenham. So the competition this season in the Premier League is is the very best I've seen, and it's going to be really exciting. You've set me up nicely for this this next question. So we've already picked out players from the teams you're most associated with across the rest of the league. Who has really stood out for you, both in terms of players on the pitch and performances as a manager Franny who who from the other 19 clubs in the Premier League uh, that don't wear red and white who has been the, the player that's really caught your attention and impressed you well I, I guess it is a, a player in red and white for me so far and, and and Paul will probably sort of be better advised being a, a, a striker as he was but Mo Salah in Liverpool is, has just been absolutely incredible so far, hasn't he? I mean, uh, obviously there's all these talks around his, his contract negotiations and renewal and whether that's going to happen and if it's going to happen. Um, but he's been absolutely incredible. I mean, is it 10 goals, seven assists, something like that he's had so far this season? It, you know, I, I, I don't know about Paul, but I, I often, when I'm watching games now, I, I often think sort of like, obviously we've played in a different era, but how it would be like to play against these current crop, crop of players and I, and I look at someone like Mo Salah thinking, well, you know, which way would you show him? You know, do you think where well, you may be showing on potentially a weaker foot, but then like you just know he could still still capable of, you know, striking with his right foot. But, you know, that cut back on his left, how lethal he can be with that. But even in the box, you think, well, OK, you know, you know, you've got to stand up against these kind of players in today's era. But they're just so skillful. And the way was it the goal against Watford he got, I think, where he just dribbled in between sort of two or three players and then stuck it in the far corner. Absolutely outstanding. But there's been other performers as well, you know, from a, a different position perspective. Reese James at the moment is in a great run of form. Uh, four goals that he's scored. He's a great, you know, attacking threat, uh, you know, not just scoring goals, but supplying deliveries into the box for the, the, that Chelsea side. And, you know, those, those are two players that, that certainly stand out for me so far. Yeah, and, and Reese James there, it's interesting, despite those four goals, he's actually missed a couple of games through suspension for quite a harsh sending off as well. So, uh, yeah, that, that really adds to it. Uh, Paul, I mean, obviously we talked about Mo Salah there and some of the performances we've seen of Mo Salah, it, it may as well have been playing up against those uh, dummies that you see on the training pitch, the way he's <laughs> gone around people. Uh, and, and I'm sure you've done that once or twice in in, in your career, Paul, as well. I would have uh, I would have dislocated my hip if I tried to do that. There was no chance of that. Happening. I, I I'm pretty sure I remember seeing you just go through right straight through them. <laughs> yeah, that's more like it. Yeah, and and so it, from from your point of view, like obviously we've mentioned Mo Salah there. Is is there anybody else that's you know not at City that you've been really impressed with so far this season? Yeah, there's a couple, but I think going back to Mo Salah, um, I think Franny will agree. You know, over the last three, four, five seasons, his numbers have been incredible. 
But it seems that this season he's just took his game on to a completely different level altogether. You know, whether that's the whether that's his contract situation that he's maybe letting other clubs have a little look at how good he really is or to let Liverpool to say, look, come on, I'm the main man here. Um, but I, I do think he's mixed his game up as well. You know, talking about the Watford goal there, he's one of these players, and Franny is a fullback, he would have been a nightmare that you know he wants to go on his left foot all the time. But sometimes you just can't stop what he's going to do. But I'll go back to the goal against Man City that he scored where he sent, we spoke about Cancelo before, um, Laporte, world-class defenders. You know, he's cut inside and I don't think any of the ground thought he was going to check back onto his right and then the finish was unbelievable. So he's not just putting in the performances, but he's making defenders guess all the time. Um, maybe people would have said a couple of seasons ago he was a bit too predictable on that, but he's, he's actually mixed his game up. That's, as I said, he's, he's took them up there. He was probably the best player in the world at the minute. And... You know, that that's not over-exaggerating. But that's from the other clubs. Um, I've seen a lot of this kid when he was at um, Celtic, Eldoward, now that he's gone down to Crystal Palace. You know, he's still only 22 or 23. Um, he had a lot of injuries in his last season at Celtic, so people were saying, oh, he's not a goal scorer, or he's only scoring goals in Scotland. But he's a real talent, you know, and he's come down into the Premier League and, and a Crystal Palace team that are doing fantastic under Patrick Vieira. He's, he's really hit the ground running. In the age he's at, he's only going to get better, you know. And I think that when they signed him, I thought it was a fantastic signing. Um, you know, this isn't hindsight because he scored a few goals now because I've seen a lot of them uh, playing up in Scotland. But, <laughs> but he's a real talent, you know, right footed, left footed. He's quick. Um, he works ever so hard. Um, and you know, he's he's going to have a fantastic career. And then we've seen a bit of him over the last couple of seasons. But I really like Rafinha at Leeds. You know, I, I know Leeds have been struggling recently, but he's he's been the one bright spark in there. Um, we all know about Leeds players having to work hard. You know he works his socks off, but he's he's contributing now with assists, with goals, and he he's been their go-to man over the past um, sort of the past three months. You know he missed the start of the season through injury, but since he's came back in, he's been head and shoulders above everybody else at Leeds. Some great suggestions there from both of you, and uh, I'm sure you're not the only two that put Mo Salah already being tipped as a safe bet for the Ballon d'Or, and no doubt lots of other. Uh, prizes that come around. Let's um, let me word this carefully. Rather than looking at the other end of the table uh, in terms of performances, let's let's look at players that we've expected a lot from and have been disappointed for. Those players that haven't lived up to the hype. Franny, who's caught your eye, or maybe more appropriate in this instance, who has failed to catch your eye? Yeah, an interesting one. I mean, it, there's a couple of players that have popped into my, my mind. And um, I, th I think it's, and there's probably reasons why I'm going to almost like name these these players at the moment. You you could, in some ways, maybe argue Jack Grealish, you know. But then I think the price tag that came, the transfer fee, is probably sort of like maybe a big part of that. But at the same time, you know, you, you expect him to maybe deliver a little bit more than what we've seen in some ways. But at the same time, he's still producing in different ways. I think it's not the obvious ways that we saw him in an Aston Villa shirt. It's fitting into, you know, a star-studded Manchester City side under Pep that is, is going to be a different role for him. And there's going to be probably an element of adjusting to that, that change and fitting into that environment as well. So that, that's not to say he's had a bad start or it's been a disappointing um, start to the campaign for him because it hasn't. He's, he's added in other areas maybe that he wasn't doing in a Villa shirt. So I'd, I think that's maybe just one one element you could maybe say. I, I guess maybe from a more 
disappointing point of view from the, the lack of seeing a player would be somebody like Jaden Sancho, maybe at United. Um, you know, just a lot of hype around him, a lot of excitement about him coming to the Premier League. But I think it's quite clear that, you know, what, whatever Solskjaer is seeing day to day on the training ground, there's a reason why he's maybe not figured so far. That's probably down to the element of competition and the way the team's set up that's within the group. Um, but also that adjustment of coming from the Bundesliga to the Premier League. Premier League is a completely different story. So uh, there's, there's going to be an adjustment for him personally as well. But from a personal point of view, I would have liked to have seen him playing a little bit more to really see what he was capable of. Um, and then maybe just one more name, sort of Emi Brendina. Uh, Brendia would be one that I thought is, you know, somebody that I, I would expect to have maybe gone and done a bit more than what he's shown already at Villa. But um, as we know, they've had their their problems, a number of injuries as well. So uh, maybe again, that's just an adjustment and a, a time for a player to settle into a new club. Yeah, there is uh, a lot of expectation placed on shoulders these days, not just with the uh, the price tag, but also uh, with the stats that we're so obsessed with these days. Uh, I remember the one going around about Sancho about being the number one assist supplier in your in all top five European leagues at one stage. Uh, Paul, if I could come to you and just pick up a little bit about Jack Grealish there, because you probably see more of him than, at least this season, than any of us have. I can't help but feel there is a a comparison to when Riyad Mahrez came, and obviously there was a long pursuit in that case as well to, to bring him to the Etihad. But I remember it took him a while to find his best form. And although he didn't seem to play very much uh, that that first season and not get a lot of chances, by the end of that season, he still had a bunch of assists and was in double figures for goals. So is it more of a case of that he's moved into a team that operate differently with a deeper squad and a higher standard. Absolutely. And I think it's it's adjusting to how Pep trains for a start, not just how, how he plays and the intensity they do it. And you know, Jack's a wonderful player and but being at Aston Villa and that's no disrespect to them. You know, I, when any Aston Villa player had the ball over the last three or four years, the one player they looked to give it to was Jack Grealish. You know, he was the main man. Um and, you know, he would drive them up the pitch, get them 30, 30 40 yards up the pitch when they would defend deep. Now, when you go to Man City, um, it doesn't matter what player you are. You know, you're not going to be the one. You're not going to be the main man that gets the ball all the time. You know, they, they mix it up. They do it. They play in a completely different way, with and without the ball. Um, and I agree with Franny. It's, it's, he is still contributing. But I think because they... Jack Grealish was seen, especially last season, where he was he was winning games on his own, whether it was assisting or, or scoring yourself. Um, but whereas at Man City, Man City, he's not going to get the ball all the time because you've got Kevin De Bruyne in there, you've got Bernardo Silva, you've got Phil Foden, you've got Riyad Mahrez, we've got Sterling, you know, and, and they mix it up so well. And the other thing as well, playing wide in a Man City team, you've got to tuck in a lot, you know, because especially when he's playing that left-hand side with Cancelo, um, he's the one that bombs forward all the time and Arguably, over the last four or five weeks, Cancelo's been the main player for creating goals and assisting and scoring them himself. So I just think it's a time of adjustment for Jack, um, like it was with Riyad Mahrez when he first came in. Very similar, Riyad Mahrez at Leicester was outstanding. I know he had Jamie Vardy, but was still one of the main men. But when you go into a Manchester City 
squad when you've got 25 world-class players. It's going to take time for you to adjust to that, and, and I'm sure Jack will. Looking outside of the Etihad, Paul, are there any players that have come into other clubs that you were excited at the potential that haven't exactly hit the ground running for you? Yeah, I think I think Franny must have seen them my list as well because he's just he's named two <laughs> two, two of the three players I had there. Um, one was Buendia, um especially you know he was outstanding. People might say albeit in the in the championship uh, last year and obviously he got his call up to the national team Argentina as well. You know, so those big things expected of him. The other one as well was Leon Bailey at Villa. You know, seen him a lot in the Bundesliga and he was electric. I know he's had his injuries, but he's He's not looked anywhere near the player he was um, that he was over there. And then there's, I think, the most obvious one is Jaden Sancho. You know, United have courted him for the last eighteen months, and I'm coming in with that um, big price fee. Um, you, you would expect him, not just expect him to do more. You would expect him to play a lot more. And I think he's possibly a victim of the circumstances at United at the minute, where they possibly they've got a lot of individually talented players, but don't really know what their best team is. You know, and. Franny will tell you that any player, especially when you go to a new club, you, you need to get a run of games under your belt as quick as you can. You know, and if you don't, you, it's, it's so difficult to, to get into the rhythm with your teammates, with your fans and everybody else. And, you know, Bandia, possibly let Sancho, um, is a victim of teams not really knowing what their best team is at the minute. And with them being attacking players, so-called luxury players, you do tend to get left out a little bit and the team's struggling to go a little bit more safe. And then the only other one I was going to say, and I know he was there on loan last year, was Joe Willock at Newcastle. You know, after yeah. the the impact he had there, um, signing in January. Six games, six goals in six games, yeah, I think it was. Yeah, and he, he looked fantastic. You know, he gave the team a lift. Um, he gave the crowd a lift. And it's for whatever reason, it's just not seemed to happen for him. You know, £25 million, which isn't a lot nowadays. Um, but it was at the time. Not for Newcastle I, anymore. <laughs> at the time it was, it's not anymore, you know. Um, so, yeah, we've been slightly disappointed with him as well. And in defence of these players, guys, you know, we are only 11 games into the season, aren't we? So Absolutely. So it is like Paul's touched on and you mentioned, Dan, it's so early in the season and players do take time to adjust and settle into clubs or even a different environment completely, as, as, as Paul's just mentioned about the city setup. I think what we'll do is we'll take a quick break now, but then we're going to come back and we'll talk about uh, a particular role in football that doesn't seem to get the luxury of time. And uh, turning around and saying to your chairman, it's only been 11 games, doesn't seem to wash because we're going to talk about managers and uh, we can't ignore the fact that we've already lost 25% of Premier League managers this season. Uh, But we'll start by looking at those that you've been particularly impressed with and we'll do that next. The Dugout Premier League Preview Football Social Daily Welcome to part two of The Dugout and in this section we're going to look at the managers we did the players in part one and uh, well, before we get on to the recent sackings uh, let's look at the managers who are doing very well this season and uh, without mentioning the usual suspects um I'd like to pick out a couple and see what you think. And the first manager that comes to mind is David Moyes. And in fact, he's doing so well. And and again, towards the end of last season as well with that West Ham team and the results that they've got, particularly the, the, the game against Liverpool just last week. You know, I'm surprised he's not being talked about 
for other jobs. I mean, I hear there's a, I hear there might be a role coming up at Old Trafford. <laughs> uh, I don't think he would take that one again, um, if I'm being honest. But <laughs> no, I'm delighted for David. You know, um, I've known David for a long time, and, and when I was managing in the lower leagues um, at Oldham at Doncaster, it was fantastic with me, as in terms of advice, as in terms of helping me out, making me feel my way into the job, but also. Um, you know, when he was at Man United, he gave me two players and Sam Johnston and um, Federico Makeda, who made such a difference to my Doncaster team when they had a, a possibly a lot bigger clubs than the Championship um, wanting to take them in on loan. Um, and David really looked after me and kept expressing how tough how tough it is um, being a manager full stop, but how tough it is managing lower down. Um, and if he could be of any help at all, he, he would be there for us. So so much respect for him and so grateful for that as well and on the other hand I'm just delighted that it's, it's working from now you know I think whoever talking about the Manchester United job whoever took over from Sir Alex at that time was on a hiding to nothing regardless of who, of who they were because of the success that he'd built over the previous 20 years and you talk about managers getting time you know these he, he, he didn't have that and then he obviously had his little spell abroad, and a little spell at Sunderland and West Ham before, but he's, he's come back in now and um, he's not just created a, a team, he's created a squad that are so difficult to play against, but are playing some wonderful football as well. And um, I, I'm just I'm just so happy for him because he really is one of the game's good guys, you know, and always willing to help other people, but always looking to help himself and to improve himself even, even at this stage of his career. Another manager that has impressed me is down near you, Franny, on the south coast, a couple of hours east of you, Graham Potter, who's back with a beard this season. Uh, I didn't recognise him at first, I remember seeing him, but uh, the other thing that he's done that's really impressed me is he's managed to get the team holding on to Leeds, which was really the shortcoming for Brighton last season. And I think the other thing that's important in this conversation and in the light of the recent sackings, is he's one of the manager who's been given time. Yeah, I think this is a, a reward that we've, you know, it's nice to see, you know, a club and a manager, you know, do well when there, there is speculation about their job and the club and the board stick with the, the, the man in charge. Um, and this is a typical example of that. You know, he's, he's a former teammate of mine at Southampton. He was at Saints for a, a short period, uh, but delighted for him and the club to, to see them doing well. And, and very much like Paul was talking about David Moyes and West Ham, you know, the, on the back of the success they had last season to, to now be replicating that again and being in and amongst what you would class as the bigger boys in the, the division is brilliant for football. I think it's great for the division. And, you know, Paul will, will speak from experience about this himself, having been in the, a role, but it's not just the, the, the man the individual themselves. There's always a, a, a close support network of staff that back the manager, that work with the manager on a day-to-day -day basis and the players. That That is a crucial part of being successful or or not, whatever the case may be. And I think, you know, that, that often goes unrecognised by, I guess, us in the media. You know, the, the, you talk about the, the, the main individual. Yes, they are a huge part of that, but it's quite often that, the, the magic of the, the, the support network that, you know, sort of has a massive impact and an outcome in how, how you're doing in that sort of position. Um, it's, it's not a role I ever really wanted to pursue and go down, I'll be honest. Um, and I think, especially at Premier League level, as you touched on, Ant, you know, given that we've lost five managers in 
you know, the 11 games to this point of the season so far shows how, you know, sort of a, a precarious position and role it can be, albeit maybe financially it could be a good thing uh, if you lose your job from time to time with a settlement. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure that's not the, the, the main objective for anyone going into to a job at the moment. Yeah, although we we did put out a tweet on the Sports Social the other day about how I think Jose Mourinho's made about ninety seven point six million from his contracts being terminated, which does make it uh, you kind of go, well, the stress is maybe worth it. Then it softens the blow a bit, I guess, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah. I, I made ninety six point seven x from mine. <laughs> yeah. Somebody else I want to I want to pick out is is somebody who who played. At City towards the end of his career, and there was question marks when he came in. He he was in charge of the EDS at City. Uh, he started his managerial career at Palace with a three 0 thumping, I think, on the opening day to Chelsea. But uh, you mentioned Edward earlier that the the players that he's brought in and the way that Palace are playing as a team this season. And bear in mind that we're still waiting for. Eze to come back to full fitness as well. You know, there's some really exciting things happening down at Sellers Park. Yeah, there is, and I'm, I'm delighted for Patrick. You know, but talking about uh, the other way, it still is only 11 games in. You know, and I seen him the other week there when they won at City, and he was very quick to try and play it down. But you know, he's went in to Palace. You know, after the Roy Hodgson years, where Roy done a great job, but they were very predictable and not very good to watch. And he's went in there in a short space of time of a pre-season has changed completely changed the style of play that they've got. Um, you know, I was fortunate enough to see Patrick quite a bit when he was the EDS coach at Manchester City. Um, and he was very, very meticulous, very detailed in what he was doing. And even when we went out to New York City, you know, people will say that he didn't do a good job there. But where New York City were at the time and where they were when Patrick left them to go to Nice, they had improved so much, not just not just on the pitch, but the whole structure of the club as well. Um, had his short time at Nice and he's, he's, he's been waiting he's been waiting for a job in the Premier League and I know it raised a lot of eyebrows but Patrick's as well as being a super humble guy um, he's got a massive belief in his own, own ability um, you know and he was just waiting for the right job to come in and he's been in at Palace and you know keep saying it is only 11 games in but he's transformed them around into into a team that, that could easily compete in the top 10 in the Premier League if, if not better than that Paul you, you mentioned there about knowing him as you do what would you say is Patrick's biggest strength that he brings to a managerial position? His man management, without a doubt. You know, when you seen Patrick Vera on the pitch, you would, you know, you wouldn't have thought that because he was he was one of the best fighters, battlers, hardest person in the opposition you would come against. But he, he's just he's a humble guy. He's very softly spoken. He thinks about the game a lot, and he talks to his players, Franny. You know, and individually, not just as a group. Um, and lets them know how much he wants to improve them. And I think, I think that experience comes from when he was with the EDS, the 23s and the 18s, dealing with younger kids, having to explain to them in huge detail, especially the way Manchester City want to play. You know, the first team just don't play one way. The under-8s play all the way through um, the same style of, of plays as what the first team do. And I think that learning experience from having that and having to having to explain the game to younger kids and and realising uh, the impact it can have on them by going into detail with them but talking to them the right way. Um, and I think we've seen that already with Alfred Zaha. He seems a different player this season as well. You know, and he, he's really up for it, um, not just in the bigger games, um, but in all the games. And I'm, I'm sure that's down to the man management and how Patrick talks to him 
And I've no doubt Patrick will be telling them he's one of the best players in the Premier League and making them feel like a million dollars. But at the same time, if somebody needs a kick up the backside, you all see that Patrick Vieira that was on the pitch. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't fancy that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you, I mean, you mentioned that. I, I have noticed, I don't know if maybe anybody else has picked up on that, but uh, if you compare the post-match interviews with Wilfred Zaha this season to the last couple of seasons, he looks like a different person. He he, he looks happy, he's smiling, he's laughing, and obviously you know results are going well and they're getting great results like they, they did at the Etihad but I, I'm just curious Paul as the only one out of us that have done any kind of uh, professional management is that something that is down to um, Patrick's personality or is that very much something that he's learned as you said by working with the players going through yeah, that, that could, could be a number of things I mean you know how many times you see when a manager's been at a club for a long time you know and a new manager does come in and the, the players that have been there for that amount of times or the manager all of a sudden get a massive boost because it can get a little bit monotonous. You know, it's nothing against Roy Hodgson who's done an unbelievable job there. But I think with Wilfred, what you're seeing is a, a player who's now allowed to go and express himself for 90 minutes, whereas, he's, don't get me wrong, he's still got to work hard under Patrick because he won't, um, won't put up with that. Um, but at the same time, under Roy's teams, it was probably more for such a talented player, there was probably more emphasis put on his def- on defending and team shape and everything else without necessarily having that freedom to go and play forward. And I think with Wilfred, you're seeing it's maybe been a little bit of a weight off his shoulders and he's gone back in. And I'm not saying he wasn't enjoying his football before, but it looks as if he's really enjoying it. And that, that can only be down to the, the role that Patrick's given him and, and how Patrick and his coaching staff are, are talking, not just to him, but all the other players in there as well, because... The players that were there with Roy look as if they're in, they're enjoying the football so much more now because it's it's a more attacking way. And Roy has been very gracious actually just the other day commenting about how well that uh, Patrick's doing uh, with the, with the team, which is basically in many ways a brand new team at Crystal Palace as well. Now Roy is somebody that left the Premier League as a manager uh, last season, and we've had five others follow him this season, as we mentioned earlier. Just to just to give you a bit of a comparison, on the continent at the minute, uh, by this stage in the stage, season, you've lost three in La Liga, four in Serie A, and in the Bundesliga, only one. So, uh, once again, the Premier League leading the way, but not necessarily in a way that we're proud of. Um, a question for you, uh, as players first of all, um, I, how disruptive is it when you lose a manager at any stage of the season? Because I, I imagine it can affect you in both a positive way, as a relief, or if it's somebody you, you've got a particularly good bond with, you know, it, it can be quite distressing, for lack of a better word. Uh, Franny, I've, I've no idea how many times you've experienced this in your career, but in terms of the impact it has on you and the dressing room, it, it, is this very disruptive? It, it can be, Anne. Um, you know, I, I played for, I think it was uh, 10 or 11 managers through my, my time at Southampton. Um, and personally, I often, you know, found it was it was not the best of situations for me as a player because quite often whoever the new manager was that came in would often view me or, you know, soon be followed by a, a new signing and, and a left back in my position. So, um, you know, it, it didn't always bode particularly well for me. I had to, to try and compete with a number of players that were brought in when a, a new manager seemed to arrive. So, so there's that uncertainty, I think, as a player. Um, but, 
but you are right. It, it, it depending on the circumstances, it can um, it can freshen a group. It can give you a new boost. Uh, coming back to the point that Paul made, that those man management skills, I think you know, I, I played for some tactically very astute managers, but I think the ones that got seemed to get the best out of me were the ones that that made me feel like a world beater, you know, and uh, not necessarily focused on my weaknesses, but, you know, told me the things that I was good at and made me feel good about myself um, and, and brought those attributes as well. Yes, there's obviously an element of setting a team up and having tactics and knowing the opposition and how you're going to stop them and things like that. But, um, yeah, you know, I've, I've also been part of a team that's been playing in front of a, a crowd when the crowd are really on the manager's back. Um, and, and, and the worst scenario, I guess, would have been when Ian Bramford was manager at Southampton, when, you know, the, the style of football wasn't particularly great for the supporters. Uh, we weren't particularly doing well at the time. And he was coming in for a huge amount of criticism. And, and, and you knew as a player out on the pitch getting ready for the start of a game, the moment he emerged from the tunnel to walk down the touchline to the dugout, because the, the supporters were straight on his back. And, and that was sort of hard to play in front of. But at the same time, the flip side of that is when you've got the crowd, the management right, the team playing well, the belief and confidence and atmosphere within a ground can be amazing when things are going well. Paul, you, again, you're the only one of us to have been in management and you're the only one of us to have been dismissed. Yeah. As, I wasn't as a very good at it. That's why, that's why I'm talking <laughs> to you. <laughs> uh, I mean, did did you keep in touch with the with with the players in the dressing room after you left Doncaster? Did you get feedback about the change that made or? or... Yeah, the, the Doncaster was uh, slightly different. Um, as in, we had two my two and a half years there, we had three field takeovers um, of people wanting to come in, and the chairman who actually appointed me in the end resigned because other board members uh, didn't want the takeover to happen. You know and. For me, it was it was pretty simple. You know, the writing was on the wall. As soon as John Ryan, the chairman who appointed me, left, I was on the way because um, there was a new chairman coming in who, and is well within his rights of doing it. Don't hold any grudges at all because he wanted his own person to come in. You know, and I managed to last ten months under him. Whereas, looking back now and in hindsight, it, it, we should have sat down on the first day and just called it a day of his job because he didn't want me there. He wanted his own man in. Um, whereas the other chairman had a bit of a longer term future for me, so um, so from that point of view, it's it, it, it was slightly difficult. But you've just got to get your head down, and get on with it. Do I, I still keep in touch with a lot of the players now um, from my time at Oldham um, and at, at Doncaster? And the, the feedback I got, believe it or not, was I was, I was probably too nice. <laughs> I know <but laughs> people find people find that quite hard to understand, but I just. I wanted to treat the players how I would have wanted um, been treated myself um, and try and give them everything that I could. And if, if they made mistakes, I would always forgive the mistakes they made. Um, but sometimes, as Franny will tell you, you do need a rocket up your backside. But I just felt that dealing with a smaller squad lower down the league, you, you had to keep the players on side as much as you could. You know, and, and, and the game's changed. You know, I remember being a kid at Arsenal, then going to City and Leicester and Blackburn. And if, if you stood at a line, you get told in no uncertain terms, you know, and um, off your manager, off your teammates, off the coaching staff, but you accepted it because you knew that they wanted the best out of you. Nowadays, you can't speak to players like that, you know, because it's uh, the game's changed, the mentality of the players have changed and how they get treated and how they want to get treated. So I found that slightly difficult and it probably, as I said, it probably sent me the other way with maybe being a bit too nice to the players, whereas 
I should have been a bit more ruthless thinking back now. Well, I mean, whenever I saw you play, I always thought he looks like a really nice guy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a little man syndrome, that's what it was. Paul, Paul was feisty, believe yeah. me. I, I know from experience, yeah. he, was, he was a feisty one. <laughs> you had to have your, your, your shin pads on when yeah. you played against him. Yeah. <laughs> Franny, I'm just saying that because I'm in Manchester as well. So, <laughs> I had an idea, and this, this is probably a really crazy idea, and you might dismiss me for that, but... Obviously, when a, when, a, when a manager leaves in the middle of the season, it's disruptive. And we've seen some, for, for, for fans outside the club, the likes of Watford, you know, a couple of seasons ago, going through four managers in one season. And they're one of the clubs that have changed their manager this year. We have seen clubs like Chelsea where they've changed their manager on a regular basis and had success. But we've got so used to the transfer window in terms of players now, you know, whereas back in the days at the start of your career, you know, players could be transferred in and out pretty much at any time. Uh, it's nearly 20 years ago now that the transfer window was introduced for players. I mean, do, do you think that we might ever see a, a, a period, maybe in the middle of the season and the start of the season, like we have with the transfer window for players, where uh, maybe some kind of manager's union uh, introduces this so that those are the only two points at which you can change your manager? Um, or is that just real pie in the sky? Do you think that would that would make an impact on the teams? Well, I, I, it's an interesting question, and for sure. I mean, it's it's you know, take the most recent one, I guess, with with Dean Smith. There's an element I I, I feel sorry for Dean because you know he's done an incredible job at at Villa. Um, he's had numerous injuries that he's had to deal with as well in recent times, and I guess it just highlights you know how clubs and the boards look at starts to a season or a run I mean a, a run of five successive defeats is is pretty much going to seal your fate, fate and especially the timing of it you know going into the international break at this stage of the season you know even if there was like maybe a, a, a draw or two in there or, or a victory in between that you know just to to try and break that run of consecutive defeats up for him may have helped him but it just shows the pressure that the managers at that level are now under, you know, to perform. It's it's not a season or two to, to settle in and necessarily, although we are seeing that with some clubs, it seems, that are given that. And, and, and we've seen it, you look at Southampton, classic example, Ralph Hasenhut. So there's been a, a number of occasions, a couple of 9-0 defeats where everyone was up in arms. A certain number of the home supporters were even saying, this is his time, you know, he needs to go. So... It's great when you see clubs sticking with managers for a longer period of time to give them that chance to to work their philosophy into a football club, but we don't see it, you know. And and Dean Smith and and the others that we've seen go to this season, it is the nature of the job. But an interesting question, you know, whether there would be almost like a period that clubs make decisions on managers, but I I, I somehow can't see that that happening. I think it would be one of them, wouldn't it? The, the LMA and the Managers Association would want it, but there's no way whatsoever the owners of clubs would want to have that as well. And we've seen that already. Eleven games in, five dismissals. You know, it's crazy. Yeah, but then you've you've, you've got certain dressing rooms that are, are very mixed in terms of the players that you've got in, and I'm sure you both played in them where you're playing alongside players that were signed by three or four different managers, and that have been brought in to do different solutions play different positions in different systems um when when that happens and you find yourself in that situation uh is it a case where some players are just sort of forced out of that situation or is it you've just got to learn to adapt and survive in, in, in the new system that you've got 
Well, I'd add, add this firsthand. Um, so I signed for Manchester City in the August of 1996 on the Friday, and Alan Ball got sacked on the Sunday. Um, and I thought, cheers for that. <laughs> and then from the August to the January, I actually had five different managers um, going through. So in the space of five months, the managers changed five times. And, and But within that period, in Manchester City at the time, were, um, they, they were a shambles, actually. You know, Each manager that came in was allowed to sign their own players. And it wasn't until Joe Royal came in the following year, the following season, um, when you think Premier League teams now have got a squad of 25 that are allowed to be named, Joe Royal had 56 pros. There was three different first, yeah, three different first team changing rooms. There was a changing rooms of the players that didn't want to be there at all, that Joe didn't want. There was a changing room of players that Joe wanted to keep but couldn't afford to keep, so he had to get them out. And there was a changing rooms of the leftovers that were to make up the 11 on the Saturday. <laughs> you know, and it was the, the atmosphere was poison all the way through. Um, because you've got a group of players, some who want to be there, some who don't want to be there, and that, that was it. That was drawn down the line. Um, but I've got to give Joe so much credit for that and how he managed it. And it, going back to man management, his man management, how to get the players out he wanted to get out, how to manage to keep the players he wanted to keep, and then add a few more into it, was was genius. You know, and I, I still don't think to this day that he gets the credit for it. You know, and once they managed to do that, we ended up getting back-to-back -back promotions to the Premier League. Um, but if that hadn't have happened. You know, I think looking back now, I would have really worried where Manchester City would have been now because it was. I mean, how can you sack a manager, bring in another another manager, let him sign five players, then sack him a month later, then do the same with another manager, but give them all two three year contracts? You know, it was, that must it was, have been unbelievable, Paul. We like we we know how how a dressing room or a squad can be when you've got almost like one player that's yeah. almost been outed or not part of the plans, and and how that can upset the. The harmony of a dressing room, let alone the number of players like you've just mentioned, that must have been unbelievable. Yeah, we always say, Franny, say it only takes one bad egg in a changing room sometimes, don't you? But then to have um, to have 56 pros when at, at, on a Saturday you can name a squad of 16, you know, so, so you're leaving 40 players out, 40 first team players who are contracted within that. And it was, it was at times it was it was difficult, um, but that's that's where I've got to give Joe so much credit. So I don't know. How many managers are a lot of managers that would have been able to deal with that, you know? And people wonder why Manchester City went from the Premier League uh, down to the first division and down to mid-table in the second division. I think if, if you look behind the scenes, what was happening, it tells a story in itself. Yeah, I, I, I think, I think it was, it was around that time. I remember as well, like City went top after three games, and then, if I remember rightly, got relegated that same season. Um, so yeah, yeah, cra crazy times, and also like I, I mean. I loved Main Road, but I never realised it was big enough to have three separate dressing rooms in there just for the home team. <laughs> that's, that's incredible. Um, that's it for another episode of The Dugout. And uh, remember, we'll have one of these every weekend. Uh, looking ahead to the forthcoming fixtures, of course, no Premier League fixtures uh, this weekend, just the international window. Just leaves me to say thank you to Franny Benali. Cheers, Ant. Good to join you and Paul. And of course, he's just mentioned him there, the uh, legend that is uh, for me as a City fan, Paul Dickoff. Great to work with you. No, thanks, Ant. Cheers, Franny. Enjoyed that. Yeah, all the best, guys. Take care. The Dugout Premier League Preview Football Social Daily. 
Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. 